With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. No! Oh, my God! How could he do that? What? Charles Darwin. All right. Well, welcome everybody into a special Thanksgiving edition of Nerd Sessions. Actually, the day after, but you know what? Close enough. We are only doing one episode this week, as we said, because we need a little bit of a break. But we also had to talk about NBA free agency because the offseason has almost come to a conclusion. So before we get into our season preview, we have to actually wrap up what has happened before us over these past, past couple weeks. So we will do that today, picking out a few winners and a few losers of free agency. So Logan, let's start with you. Who do you see as a winner of the free agency period? I mean, people are going to call me crazy for this take, but I think the Charlotte Hornets have really won this uh, free agency and offseason period, in my opinion, with their Gordon Hayward signing. And I understand why there's been a lot of pushback for this signing. You're getting a guy with one of the you know most severe leg injuries in NBA history in Gordon Hayward, and if he goes down with another significant injury, then uh, it's likely to turn out to be another one of uh, one of the worst contracts signed in the history of the Charlotte Hornets. Um, and I get it; Jordan hasn't done a good job in these past ones. We've seen uh, the Bismack Biombo signing, the Nicholas Batum signing, the Terry Rozier signing. I get why people are skeptical about Gordon Hayward going to Charlotte for that much money, but to me, there's tremendous value in just getting pieces around uh, a young player like LaMelo Ball, talented players that you know that can contribute to a team and help him grow as a young player. Also, on top of that, this is a Hornets team that last year won 23 games. I thought that they were going to be one of the worst in the league last season. So just that they won 23 games impressed me. I think this season, with all the young talent they've got returning and guys like P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges, guys who are going to start next season likely, uh, P.J. Washington probably at the five, Miles Bridges uh, in some wing capacity alongside Gordon Hayward, and then you've got two talented guards in Graham and Rozier who can go out and get you buckets. I just think that by bringing in Gordon Hayward specifically for free agency to play alongside LaMelo Ball, somebody reliable, somebody that they can count on, that put up 17 points per game last season, people act like Gordon Hayward's washed just because of his leg injury. He's not. This guy can still be a contributing player on a really good team. I think by getting Hayward and by getting Hayward, I think the Hornets have improved their win total. I think they win 30 to 40 games next season. I'm that confident in this team out east. Uh, I think that 
I think there's a lot of people have just been downplaying uh, the signing, and I think the Hornets won, man, by bringing in LaMelo, by getting in a veteran. I just think that with how young they are, where they are, I think the Hornets won easily. So let me ask you this. You talk about the 30 to 40 game range that you see them ending up in this year. Do you see them as a playoff team? No. In no way. I, I don't see them as a as a playoff team. I just think with the veteran leadership that Hayward brings to this squad and uh, looking at their losses, you bring in Hayward, I think all they lost this season, uh, offseason so far, is Dwayne Bacon and Willie Earn and Gomez. Not really big blows to a team that did only win 23 games. So I wouldn't highlight the Hornets as a winner. And the reason for that is you haven't really unlocked a completely different ceiling for this team. As you mentioned, you don't see them in the playoffs. I think they'll be in that conversation come the end of the season just because of the nature of the East. But I do think some other teams around them in that same tier have gotten more measurably better. And I would expect to probably outpace them in that conversation. But I agree with you in one important point, which is there is real value in having good players who have been in winning organizations who play winning basketball alongside these young guys who otherwise can sort of just be left to fend for themselves and can often spiral into disaster because LaMelo is a tremendously talented player. And in his best version, he's a guy who will basically have the single keys to the offense for an entire season and can generate so much out of the pick and roll. Such a brilliant passer in transition and semi-transition situations. There's so much he can do there. But for now, I think it's going to be great to have a secondary facilitator in a guy like Gordon Hayward because Hayward was fantastic this season. He was in the all-star conversation. And of course, Injuries derailed this campaign. He didn't look quite the same when we saw him come back in the playoffs. And that is where I take issue with the contract. It is a huge commitment to a guy who hasn't consistently been on the floor over the past few seasons and now is 30 years old and is obviously probably does not have his best days ahead of him. But at the same time, that's a very good NBA player. And you look at the cap number and it's a whopping four years, $120 million. The question to me is where else are you going to put those resources because I don't see a huge number of guys who they're going to be inhibited as far as their efforts to pay him. Now, Rogier's contract expires in two years. I, I don't know if he's a guy who they're going to completely prioritize and bring him back because I don't think that a LaMelo ball, a LaMelo Rogier Graham backcourt is sustainable long-term. And then you look at guys like PJ Washington, Miles Bridges. I don't think that this will stand in the way of extending any of them. So if your cap isn't going to be better used elsewhere, then I think this is okay. It's hard for me to highlight them as a winner, though, just because I do think it's an overpay. I do have questions about the ability of Gordon Hayward to stay out there on the floor, and they don't need to win now. I think that they have a really talented core offensively right now, and maybe they don't have that many guys with superstar ceilings, but I think it would be hard to say that I don't like a guy like P.J. Washington or a guy like Miles Bridges or even... Rogier, I thought was fantastic this year off the ball. Devontae Graham obviously was the shining star. So there's a lot of talented guys here. And that is why I'm kind of optimistic about their ability to be competitive. I think they will be a much better offensive team than, we, than what we saw this past season. And Hayward fits into the style of basketball they play. They're a team that moves the ball. They're a team that spaces the floor. And Hayward can do all of that at a really high level. If you had to place your bets, though, in four years, are we looking? Are we throwing this contract in with Batum and Biombo, Or is this, is this a good look for Charlotte? I am a little bit scared to say that it's a good look because I think there are so many worlds in which 34-year-old Gordon Hayward is a different player than who he is today, or he just hasn't consistently been out there over the duration of this contract. So I'm going to lean in the Batum-Biombo direction. Now, the Biombo contract was stupid from the beginning. It was based off of one great playoff run. Everybody knew that. It was ridiculous. It was because of the cap spike. The Batum contract was a little bit more justifiable. That had been a guy who 
was on the fringes of the all-star conversation, had been a real winning player, and then fell off a cliff really within a year of that contract being put into ink. So I do think there's a world in which something like that happens for Gordon Hayward. We, you can't normally see it coming. Otherwise, you wouldn't get it on the contract. But when a guy has had such tremendous injury issues, there's a little bit more of a red flag than there normally would be. All right. So my first winner of free agency is a team that I think got dramatically better, who I was highly critical of this past season for the composition of their roster. I thought that they were not quite up to par with what they should have been considering their talent. I think that the LA Clippers are a huge winner of free agency. And one of their biggest moves, I think, was obviously the acquisition of Serge Ibaka because he is in so many ways an upgrade from what Montrez Harrell was. Harrell was a guy who had such a simplistic offensive game. It's Obviously a, a fantastic pick and roll finisher, but not the kind of guy who can space the floor when you need him to, defensively incapable of guarding fives, had all these deficiencies that we saw really highlighted in the playoffs. So I thought it was perfectly fine for them to let him walk. I thought it was a huge upgrade to bring in a, to bring in a guy like Sergi Baca, who presumably in crunch time minutes for this team will be playing at the five operating as their center. And I don't know if he's perfect in that role because you would think Sergi Baca Small ball five, the guy who earlier in his career we saw protect the rim at such a high level, he now can space the floor. If you look at his four most frequently played lineups for the Raptors in which he was at center, all of them had negative on-off splits, which is really significant because, or not negative on-off splits, excuse me, a negative net rating, which is really significant because there aren't that many combinations of the Raptors players that you can put out there and say, okay, we're going to give up more points than we're going to score because it was a great team. So I do think that highlights some potential deficiencies of him at the five if he's still the high-level rim protector that obviously we knew him as in Oklahoma City and in his earlier days with the Raptors, because I don't think he's quite that still. At the same time, people shot 9.2% below their average against him at the rim, which shows us that he still has that ability to affect shots there, and I think that is pretty plain to see. He's moderately switchable and is mobile enough. And then offensively, he's just a dream come true. And so you can't get caught up in the Nirvana fallacy of wanting to find the perfect solution on both ends. Serge Ibaka may not be that, but he's significantly better than Montrez Harrell on both ends when it comes playoff time. He's a smarter defender. He's a better defender. He's more offensively versatile. And all these things to me just say that that's a huge win. And then the other couple moves that I really liked, bringing back Marcus Morris. Now, four years, $64 million is a lot. I think that it's probably an overpay at the same time that doesn't really matter. You're just trying to retain your core, the guys who you think are crucial to winning a title, and then that's really all that matters, right? You're not going to save these resources for anything else. That's why they were willing to give up a first-round pick to get him. And if you look at the Leonard, PG, Morris minutes, which I've talked about before, they were insane, a 123 offensive rating. So when you bring back a plus-wing defender who shot 41% from three last year, who can easily play alongside your two best players, that's a win. And then the man who rounds out beautifully this starting five, not technically a free agency acquisition, but was a guy who they acquired on a draft day trade. The Luke Kennard deal is absolutely one of my favorites of the offseason, and I've talked about it before, but he can do so much of, Lou, of what Lou Will can do, and then so much more. He was more efficient out of the pick and roll this year, was 78th percentile as a pick and roll ball handler versus Lou Will's 70th percent, and a good volume of his offense came out of that as well. He's come so far there. He's infinitely better off the ball because of his potency as a 40-plus percent catch-and-shoot guy. He's less of a defensive minus, so... When you're talking about a closing unit where Kennard maybe isn't that true point guard, obviously that's not his origin. He started basically as a spot-up shooter, but has evolved so far beyond that. He can be sort of your primary ball handler. And then you have PG and Kawhi creating for themselves on the wings. You can also, you know, move Kennard without the ball, and he can be a weapon at all times because of his just 
knockdown shooting ability. And then you're looking at the front court. You have Marcus Morris and Serge Ibaka. That, to me, is so much better than what they had last year. There's a reason Lou Will got played off the floor. There's a reason Montrezl Harrell got played off the floor. I'm interested in seeing if Lou Will moves, but the Clippers have not emerged as my title favorite, but I think they are very clearly second in this conversation. And I think that as far as cohesion and basketball fit, I like some of their moves more than some of the Lakers' big signings. Wow. that That's just really surprising to hear because I would have considered the Clippers as honestly kind of a pretty big loser in free agency just because, look, don't get me wrong. I like the Ibaka deal and I like the Kennard deal. I just felt that other teams did a little more. You say that you're, they're your near title favorites. Do you think there's anything else that they can do in free agency to put them over the top like a 3 and D guy on the wings for the bench? Everyone talks about them needing a quote-unquote point guard. I don't necessarily believe that to be true. Now, I understand that you would like for them to have a high-level facilitator. I don't think they're going to go out and acquire that guy at this point because we are pretty much in the depths of free agency right now. I think that Kennard is a guy who can handle the ball and facilitate at a high level. I think Lou Will could effectively do that. That was not really his problem. It was just that you didn't need that abundance of shot creators on the floor because when it comes down to it, when games are closing, Kawhi and PG are the ones handling the ball. So I really like their roster. I think that they have shored up what was their biggest deficiency as far as defensive big men where they just couldn't hang. And I think that they kind of got better across the board. I really like what they're doing. And obviously you lose a guy like Landry Shamit. That's not insignificant, but I think Kennard is a big upgrade. Last thing on the Clippers then, what did you think about uh, Marcus Morris and his $64 million deal? It's a lot, but... As I said earlier, I think that it's something that you just have to pay because you want to retain these pieces. If you think he's vital to what you're doing, then the money doesn't matter. If you're willing to go over the cap, then good. You should because you're trying to win a championship right now, and those are necessary sacrifices. So I thought that it was appropriate. It's a lot of money. It's pretty funny to see compared to Markeith, who got the league minimum, but I think it's something that they basically had to do. All right, let's move on. Who did you see as another winner in free agency? Uh, so I'm going to bounce it off to the other locker room in the Staples Center, and I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, I just felt like the Lakers didn't lose a whole lot. Only Rondo to the Hawks, Bradley to the Heat, Howard to the Sixers. Now, they haven't inked a deal with Anthony Davis yet, but that's on the horizon. Uh, I didn't like the Contavious Caldwell-Pulp deal. Uh, a little long for me and a little high money, but for a shooter that can handle the rock, he's still a valuable asset to have. What they did in the rest of free agency, I, I don't think any team... I don't think any team made any better moves than the Lakers as a whole. You get Marcus Saw and Montrezl Harrell to run your bench unit or just run alongside LeBron and AD. If AD doesn't want to run the five, you can put Gasol in there. Uh, I think Gasol is how smart he is offensively. We saw what he did in Toronto. He's Marcus Saul is still a weapon offensively. I know his averages don't say it. He's just such a smart basketball player and where he's setting screens, where he's moving on the floor. He just knows where to be. You get a guy like Trez. The... Like we said, and I think our last for agency episode, like I said, the issue with this Lakers team was their bench scoring. And with Trez, with Gasol, by trading for Dennis Schroeder, that's not an issue anymore. And they needed shooters. They traded for a guy that I don't really like a whole lot in Wesley Matthews, but that helps as well. The Lakers just made so many individual deals that drastically improved them. And I've, Carson, I think in all of my years of watching basketball, I don't think I've ever seen a title team win a championship, and then improve this much in free agency. I don't think there's been a team in my entire life that has improved this much after winning a title. Um, another uh, interesting move I thought was uh, they traded 
for Jordan Bell and Alfonso McKinney, they didn't give a whole lot up to the Cavs. I think they traded JaVale McGee. Uh, McKinney's going to be another guy that plays pretty solid minutes off the bench for them. He's a good, smart 3 and D guy um, who can play defense, who can rebound. I just think that the Lakers balled out, man. For To sign Gasol on such a small deal, to sign Trez when you're so far over the cap already, the Lakers are my title favorite. I don't even think it's a close race. I would put... I'm headed straight to my bookie, man. I'm putting all my money on the Lakers this season. I don't think anybody can stop them. The Lakers got a lot better. I don't think that that's deniable because, obviously, they filled their most glaring need, which was who's going to be the Dennis Schroeder? Who's going to be that high-level initiator off the bench? And Schroeder is just better in every way than what the alternatives were. Obviously, Rondo managed to miraculously string together a series of playoff games in which he was actually a high-level scorer and facilitator, but Schroeder is so much more natural as a scorer of the basketball. He's the kind of guy you can put off the ball, brings you a bunch of creation out of the pick and roll with the second unit when you need it. And so I do think he and Trez will be dynamic. As I expressed live on our free agency episode, I do have my concerns about Trez as a basketball fit alongside Anthony Davis. At the same time, we saw AD play alongside another non-shooter pretty regularly last year because he played a lot of his minutes alongside either Dwight or JaVale. And although... Trez doesn't bring the same defensive value at the five as those guys do. Montrez Harrell as a defensive four can be pretty good. He's a guy who gives a bunch of effort and can play with physicality and is going to just play his tail off. And then you have AD guarding fives. That's no trouble. Or in the lineups where Trez isn't out there, you have another guy who can guard fives at a high level in Marcus Saul. So overall, the acquisition of talent is a big plus. Wesley Matthews, I know that you hate him. I know that he's one of your Phillip Rivers of basketball, but that's a big win for them to get at this value and they retain so much of their core. So I'm very optimistic about where they're headed. I think that getting Markeith Morris back on the minimum is significant, and they got better. There's no other way to put it. By losing Howard and McGee, do you think they suffer at all in the rebounding category? By Because, I mean, Gasol just doesn't have that same balance or athleticism that these guys still do have, even at their late ages. Yeah, I don't love that they let both of them walk. I would have been okay with letting one go. I don't understand why they felt the need to get both of them off the books because I think that JaVale still does bring some unique tools that obviously Gasol cannot replicate just as a dynamic athletic rim runner and as a high-level rim protector. And you can say, well, Anthony Davis brings those same tools, but just at a higher level. That's true for whatever reason, though he didn't want to play center. So, and he's still probably not going to for the majority of his minutes this year because they will be playing Marcus Gasol in that position, which is just a fascinating thing. And I would like to explore why AD feels that way. But Gasol is not perfect. But when you're talking about a high IQ guy on both ends who can space the floor, who can be a high level facilitator out of the post, I don't love ever the fact that they continue to put AD alongside another guy who primarily likes to operate in the interior because that's what they did last year. Now that's what they've done with the Gasol and Trez acquisitions. It doesn't make perfect sense to me. If I have LeBron and AD, I want to put as many brilliant shooters of the basketball around them as I possibly can. At the same time, they've acquired really good basketball players, and that is something that is significant. So I'm interested in seeing how Trez performs when it actually comes to winning time. Maybe he's only an 18-minute-a-game guy. Maybe he doesn't play much alongside AD, but he brings that offensive spark out of the pick-and-roll with Schroeder. I love the Schroeder deal. I've talked about that again and again, and losing Avery Bradley is not insignificant. Losing Danny Green is not insignificant, but you kind of cancel that out when you bring in Wes Matthews, and you won the title without Avery Bradley last year anyways. And they're deeper. They're better top to bottom. I completely agree. They are the title favorite to me as well. Another team that I thought was a big winner, the Portland Trailblazers, because they did some really interesting stuff, primarily shoring up on the wings. You retain Rodney Hood, 
for a two-year, $21 million deal. This was interesting because I kind of thought that Hood was going to opt into his $6 million player option just because he was coming off of a season-ending injury, but he bet on himself, and for good reason. He was really great last time we saw him out there. We're shooting 49% from deep this season, but is obviously a career 37% guy from deep, a quality 3-and-D player with a little bit of shot creation for himself as well. And then the most significant individual move was not technically part of free agency, but I sort of lump in with this group. You bring in Robert Covington with the Ariza and two first-round pick deal now, although I do think they gave up too much value. If you're talking about who is a winner as far as immediate contention, I think that that's a big win for them. And then Derek Jones Jr., they also brought in on a two-year $19 million deal. And Jones is a guy who I've seen flashes from him when his jump shot is going. And I think back to summer league two years ago, I kind of thought he had figured out his shot. And I was like, this guy's going to be a real, real NBA player. He hasn't gotten to that point yet. I think he's 28% from deep in his career, but defensively is incredibly versatile and competitive. Offensively is so dynamic athletically. So if he develops a shot, you're talking about a guy who can be a significant performer on the wings for this team. And Rocco is the best wing defender they've ever had. I would argue better than a guy like Aminu and is also can play at the four for you so easily. He really is a four because of his ability to hang down low in the post. If, if need be, we saw him do that at such a high level for the Rockets this year. So you're talking about the best bubble offense that now is only potentially going to get better there and is going to get way better on defense because I have always been a Portland skeptic. And the reason for that is they have either had the defensively competent wings who can't knock down a big shot when you need it, like in the Aminu Harkless days, or the offensively strong wings who can knock down the open shot, like, you know, your mellows of last year, but who can't defend at a high level. Now they have a combination of both. Rocco can do both. You know, Gary Trent Jr. can do both. Rodney Hood can do both. So I feel better about this group than I ever had before than I ever have before because you can't, and I've talked about this time and again, you can't double Dame. 30 feet out when he comes and has a screen set for him because you can just leave the guy in the corner because he's not going to punish you. That's not true anymore. So I do think that that really matters. And I feel a lot better about this team. I don't think they're contenders, but I certainly think they're better than they were last year. I think, uh, I think another really, um, I think another really big uh, move for Portland was bringing in Ennis Cancer too. I mean, we saw what he did uh, just a few years ago uh, with Portland putting up 13 points per game. If you're still concerned about Yusuf Nurkic and his injuries, uh, Cantor's an awesome backup to have. I mean, he he's a great offensive scorer, uh, and I think also by them bringing in Harry Giles too, Giles still has a whole lot of upside as a shooter, as a rim runner, as a screener, as a defender. Um, uh, you know, not really big impact, I think, immediate, especially when you want defensive big men. Not too really high-profile moves, but kind of under the radar. I think both of them work well just because of Giles's upside. And then Cantor, when you need a bucket down in the post, Cantor can do that. He may not be able to defend it all, but he can at least still score the basketball. Uh, I think Portland got a lot better, as you said, and I think the Derrick Jones Jr. Uh, move is another underrated one just because, like you said, he may not be as offensively inclined. That's not really going to necessarily need to be his role on this team. When you have Trent, when you have McCollum, when you have Lillard, you're getting all kinds of buckets. Derrick Jones Jr. just needs to be able to, you know, break to the rim every once in a while for an oop and play really solid defense. So uh, the Trailblazers is a really good pick, and I think it's a team that not a lot of people are talking about. I can't believe that I didn't talk about Harry Giles at all. He's one of my favorite niche NBA guys if you will. I have no idea why the Kings didn't pick up his option. I assume it's just because they're the Sacramento Kings. That dude, if his shot comes along, because he can knock him down from mid-range, 
if he can consistently space the floor from three, which he has not done at all, but his ability to be a savvy playmaker, he's a dynamic, fluid mover in transition. He's a guy who can run the floor at a high level. I am very optimistic about him, but you're right. Defensively, he's not a plus. He's never going to be a quality defensive five, but that's not what you're investing in. You're just bringing in a young, talented guy with room to improve. And as far as Cantor, he's a guy who you can always play in specific situations and he will excel in scoring you the basketball. Now, there's always the case that he's more of a minus defensively, but that's why I say he's a spot guy. He's the kind of guy you might as well have on your team if you want to play him for 20 minutes in a certain matchup. You can, and he can crush teams. So I think Portland's a big winner. Who is your last winner that you'd like to highlight here? Uh, my last winner is a clear, obvious one, the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, when you only lose Jeff Teague, Bembry Jones, when you have all this cap space and can go out and get Danilo Gallinari and Bogdan Bogdanovich, obviously the two biggest moves they made, and it's going to help them a lot offensively. Gallinari, we've seen what he did in Oklahoma City, a a pretty underwhelming team, but he was that third guy for them, and I mean, they got into the playoffs. They got a five seed. They almost uh, came out of the first round. Uh, for Bogdanovich, I think his value for me has gone up a little bit just because for Giannis to come out and say that, not Giannis, the Bucks front office, excuse me, to say Bogdanovich was that big of a piece in keeping Giannis at home, that speaks volume to this kid's ability and what he can do on the basketball floor. So another young asset to play alongside Trey Young, I think, is extremely valuable. Now, those two signings, I like them for ability of this team now. I don't like how it's going to impact DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish's minutes because those guys still need to get playing time to improve their game, which I still hope they get off the bench and they will, but I'd like to still them see uh, see them in those starting capacities. But not just the two biggest moves. By bringing in Rondo and Chris Dunn, whatever concerns you have about Trey Young's defensive deficiencies, put one of them out there and they're going to lock up. Chris Dunn, uh, obviously a defensive, uh, we all know his defensive prowess, two steals per game, one and a half steals per game uh, in a few other seasons. Rondo, uh, just smart. He's a veteran guy who's going to be able to help Trey Young learn. I hope he plays that mentorship role a little bit, but he's also going to be able to help this team win games now. He's still a smart facilitator. He's still a smart defender. Uh, I think what this Hawks team needed was very similar to what I said for the Hornets. They needed veteran leadership. More importantly, they needed talent. By getting Gallinari, by getting Rondo, they add veteran leadership and talent. By getting Chris Dunn and Bogdan Bogdanovich, you get defense and another young scorer for Trey Young. Uh, but perhaps their most important move, they signed championship beast uh, Solomon Hill to a one-year deal. He's got that DNA with him. You know, He helped carry the Miami Heat to that title last season. Uh, the Hawks also killed draft night as we spoke. They took on Yeko Okongwu. I thought this entire Hawks offseason has been a big-time win for Atlanta. Uh, they had a really good uh, offseason, and I think that with these contracts, if you want to get off Gallinari, he's still a movable contract later in the years just because it's only $20 million. If you want to move Bogdanovich, because you are going to have to re-sign Hunter and Reddish in the future, you're going to have to re-sign Young Okongwu. But those are movable contracts, and you can win now. You've got... This was the best possible scenario for the Hawks and free agency. They got a lot better. My only question is the length and volume of the Bogdanovich deal, because four years, $72 million is a significant commitment. Now, I do think that we're going to be looking at one of the more explosive offenses in basketball, because Bogdanovich is the kind of guy who is a truly elite bucket getter. Gallinari, we know what he can do creating for himself, or just as a catch-and-shoot guy where he was spectacular this past season. I'm really excited to see how this Hawks team pans out because we are going to see guys for the first time in Trey Young's career who take the ball out of his hands and also guys who are expecting to win now and who can really produce at a high level 
offensively on their own merits, guys who can get their own shots, guys who can close games for you if need be. So I'm fascinated to see how that goes. I'm fascinated to see how much of the ball handling duties that Trey Young gives up because Bogdanovich is a guy who needs at least a handful of possessions each game where it's just him going one-on-one and attacking uh, in isolation situations because that's what he loves to do to create his offense. And also a guy who is a pretty nifty passer, sometimes gets tunnel vision, but can make some pretty impressive passes. So it, I'm fascinated because Travis Schlenk also said that Gallo came in with the understanding he was going to be behind John Collins coming off the bench. That's fascinating. We've talked about the John Collins situation before. I don't know if he's in their long-term vision, but I do think he's a really talented guy who, according to reports, is getting better and is adding new facets to his game as a playmaker a little bit. So this team is going to score the ball, man. And I think they've emerged as the clear favorite for the eight seed out East, which is really exciting because we haven't had a good eight seed in the East in a very long time. And this team may not be great because they're going to be so bad defensively. They did not get any better defensively. I shouldn't say that because Capella is an upgrade defensively. Now you actually have a high-level rim protector, which you haven't had previously. But they didn't get significantly better defensively, in my opinion. But offensively, they're going to be a joy to watch. Yo, Carson, you're exactly right. If they end up with the 8 or 7 seed, that's going to be an awesome series to watch, no matter who's, if the Celtics have it, the Bucks, just because of how many points they are going to be able to put up. They could... We could see a little sneaky upset out East in the first round. And as far as win now moves, Travis Schlenk has done some of the more impressive stuff over the past eight months. Even if you go back to the Capella signing, which maybe you think not a incredible player at this point in his career, not part of their long-term vision, but does fill a position of need as far as that rim protecting center. So all around, I think this Hawks team is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And you're capitalizing on the fact that you have Trey Young on his rookie deal right now. I agree with the concerns you raised about Reddish and Hunter. What does this do for their development? But right now, their focus seems to be on winning, and they're going to win a decent amount of games. My last winner, and I want to shout out a couple of honorable mentions who I considered because I thought about the Milwaukee Bucks because I like a lot of what they did individually. Obviously, going back to the holiday deal, but the Bryn Forbes acquisition, DJ Augustine, Pat Connaughton bringing him back, Bobby Portis, a kind of guy who obviously didn't just play winning basketball in New York, but who does? He does have offensive talent, and you can put him in in certain situations that he can go and get you a bucket. But to me, just the sort of sour taste in my mouth about them losing Bogdanovich makes it so I can't really put them in here as this tier of winners. The Miami Heat, I like some of what they did, adding Avery Bradley, adding Mo Harkless at the same time. They lost Jay Crowder and Derek Jones Jr., so there's a little bit of a canceling out effect there. And I like some of what the Phoenix Suns did as far as their individual moves. Maybe nothing jaw-dropping, but bringing in Jay Crowder is significant. Re-signing Javon Carter bringing in a guy like Etuan Moore on a minimum deal. All of that matters, and it's just making them a better, more complete basketball team as we head into this coming season. But the third winner for me is the Houston Rockets. And part of this, I will admit, is just because I really want to talk about the Christian Wood deal because I am very excited to see my man go out there and get paid three years, $41 million. And I do not think there is a better offensive fit in basketball for what the Houston Rockets are trying to accomplish than Christian Wood. And obviously part of his value is he's an incredibly dynamic player out of the pick and roll. And we have seen the Rockets completely stray away from the pick and roll and just favor hard in isolation time and again, because he's more efficient. You don't bring up a second defender and you can just let him go to work. Harden and Westbrook this year ran 9.3 combined pick and rolls per game. That's less than Harden ran alone two years ago and basically the same as Russ. So that is not a significant part of their offense right now, but I would argue that that has as much to do with the rollmen they've had who have been limited offensively. If it's Clint Capella, you know he's rolling downhill every time. No floor spacers there. 
Or on the flip side, if it is a guy who can space the floor, he's not a dynamic, athletic, rim-running threat. That has played a huge role in it, as much of a role, in my opinion, as James Harden's development himself has. And then for Russ, he averaged more points out of pick-and-roll offense than he did out of isolation offense this year. He was essentially league average when it came to isolation situations. So for him, it will be tremendously helpful to have that kind of guy because obviously coming downhill athletically, having a lob threat, that only opens up more for him. Having a guy who can space the floor, that's all wins. And now you bring in a guy who was 95th percentile as a role man, averaged 1.5 points per possession, shot 71% out of the pick and roll, almost a 39% shooter from deep, can do everything offensively. So we are going to see the literal best version of Houston's offense with this crew, in my opinion, because Wood is a kind of guy who opens up the floor and can also kill teams inside all day long. And then the potential issue here is defensively. Can he guard great physical fives? No, I don't think so. But he can protect the rim because he has shot blocking instincts and is a great athlete with whatever his vertical is in a 7-3 wingspan. And I think we saw that. He affected shots around the rim. People shot 6.5% below their average versus him when he was their primary defender. So how do you account for that defensively? Because offensively, he's the kind of guy you feel like you have to bring in. He opens up so much. Defensively, how do you avoid him being a minus? Well, here's what I think you do. As crazy as this may sound, I think that you basically continue to put P.J. Tucker on fives as their primary defender, and then you have Wood there as a help side shot blocker. Now, if you're playing teams with fours who stretch things out to the perimeter, obviously this doesn't work as well, but I don't think that Wood can guard fives at a high level. However, he can be really good as a help side shot blocker kind of guy. So do I wish that they had gone out and gotten Nerlens Noel or somebody who could play quality spot defensive minutes at the five? Absolutely. They will get crushed there again by better teams, but you're not going to find a perfect solution. The Rocco loss hurts defensively, but also picking up two first round picks is a win in its own right. And you got a guy who is so spectacular offensively, has room to grow, is continuing to get better and fits what you're trying to accomplish there at a high level. And then another move that I really liked from them is bringing in DeMarcus Cousins on a minimum deal. Really, I don't know what more I have to say about that. You got DeMarcus Cousins at the league minimum. I don't care if he doesn't play a second for you. This is a zero-risk signing. There is no reason not to do something like this. We are never going to see superstar DeMarcus Cousins again. But if we see good DeMarcus Cousins, if we see competent offensively DeMarcus Cousins, he's a guy who can at least bang with big bodies down low and is not going to get pushed around there defensively and offensively can space the floor, obviously can do so much as a facilitator. So there's just a zero risk signing. So I like that. So I liked what the Rockets did. What did you think about that? Yeah, uh, I really like the Christian Wood signing. I think a lot of what you touched on, he fits. I have been outside of last season, I guess, because they had P.J. Tucker running the five. I had been waiting years and years and years. Get Harden a big man who can shoot. We had Dwight Howard and Clint Capella, and there was so little dynamicism in that pick and roll. It was Howard, Lob, Capella, Lob. With Christian Wood coming in, it's just going to be fun basketball to watch in Houston because he's going to be open all the time when guys double hard in Westbrook. And for Cousins, if Cousins just brings a little bit of that floor spacing that you mentioned, if he can just set a screen and hit a three every once in a while, this is a decent signing. Uh, I love what Houston did. Now, if they lose Harden or Westbrook, I'm obviously not as big a fan of their offseason. How it's gone so far, though, yeah, I love everything they've done. And they're not going to be a contender. But that wasn't in the cards. They weren't going to find that path to suddenly be the favorite out West. I think that they arguably got better. And I thought that they did the best that they could as far as going out and getting a guy like Christian Wood. And again, boogie on that incredible value. 
And a new head coach in Steven Silas, too, who I think is going to hopefully just brings a little bit of change to how the offense runs. Yeah, I'm really interested in seeing how they run offense this year. It will be a spectacle for sure. Okay, let's flip to this and talk about some losers. Who was the first team that you thought lost big in free agency? So I'm glad you brought up Christian Wood to the Rockets because the first team I'm going to bring up is the Detroit Pistons. Um, Most teams in free agency have a plan, and that's why I like what teams did. Like like the Suns, they had a plan. Let's go ahead and let's get a point guard for Chris Paul. I mean, for Devin Booker, excuse me. They go and get Chris Paul. Um, The Bucks, we need somebody else alongside Giannis. Let's go and get Drew Holiday. So the Detroit Pistons, when you have a young squad who probably should be rebuilding uh, the last year of Blake Griffin's deal, it, it does lock you up a little bit, but you should be looking for the future. So instead of re-signing a young center who may work really well with Killian Hayes and stretch the floor, may work really well with Sadiq Bey and stretching the floor and Christian Wood, no, you just let him walk and you go out and you get Mason Plumley, Jaleel Okafor, I don't get it. It is such a head-scratching move to me to go out and get these two big men too. And they're valuable assets on teams. Mason Plumlee could be a really good bench. Is exactly what his role was in Denver. A bench big man who can play defense and get rebounds. And I think Jaleel Okafor could be a successful center for a team because I think he's really similar to Ennis Canner in a lot of ways is that he's just so offensively inclined, he just can't play defense. But to bring in those two guys and let Christian Wood go is just stupid to me. And then... You go out and you get Jeremy Grant. So, yeah, let's eat into Sadiq Bey's minutes, but let's pay a guy $60 million over three years? You are hurting your cap situation for the future when you could have a contending team with Killian Hayes and Christian Wood if you had brought them back. You'd be extremely young. It would be appealing to go to Detroit. You'd have all this cap space. You just do exactly what the Atlanta Hawks did. You get all your young assets. You let them play for a little bit, and you let them grow. And then you say, hey, guys, we got a lot of young talent. We have a lot of cap space. Come and play for us. But no, let's do a Detroit thing, and let's go ahead and burn it all up this year and not be competitive whatsoever. Detroit's going to suck again. Luckily, they hold they hold on to their picks, but they did nothing to improve. They just ate up their cap for future years and signed a bunch, a lot of guys over their prime. It's not like the players they signed weren't talented. They just do not fit the timetable that Detroit is on right now. Yeah, this is just perplexing. There's no other way to put it. Bringing back Wood would have been so important, I think, for Killian Hayes' development as a pick-and-roll ball handler would have been such reliable, consistent offense, and you weren't going to have to pay him a lot. Three years, $41 million is perfectly reasonable. Probably a steal for what Christian Wood is, at least on the offensive end, and they weren't willing to go out there and pay that, and they just didn't do anything that makes them significantly better. Now Jeremy Grant, I guess, thinks he's going to be a star in Detroit. Guess what? There are very few stars in Detroit to begin with, and you just do not have the tool set, Jeremy. You are in your best version, a really high-level 3-and-D wing who can go get himself a bucket when you absolutely need to, but he's not ever going to be that primary or secondary ball handler. He doesn't have those playmaking instincts. So it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for all parties involved. A lot of people who ended up in Detroit are losers, and I will say I didn't mean that like generally as people. I'm just talking about within the context of this winners and losers episode. And I will say a team that was very much hurt on the flip side of all these Detroit shenanigans are the Denver Nuggets, which to me was the easiest choice on this side of the conversation because losing Mason Plumlee is significant. He is not easily replaceable. And all you had to pay him, apparently, to match what the Pistons did was three years, $25 million. He's more important to what they did than Paul Millsap. They don't have another rim-protecting, rim-running big. And he was more than that. He was fundamental to this team's identity, I think, as that kind of scrappy guy who's just going to go out there and give it his all. 
obviously brought some fascinating playmaking and sometimes was your point guard just because he wanted to be. So he was a, a really versatile, high-level bench player. And now you haven't supplemented that value elsewhere. So I guess you're going to play bull bull for those 18 minutes a game off the bench. And he's going to be the one who compensates defensively. I don't like your chances there unless he's come a long way very quickly because I do think he's talented, but defensively has a ways to go. And then the Jeremy Grant loss, it would have been a lot to pay him three years, 60 million. Apparently they offered it to him and Jeremy still shows the Pistons, which is just disturbing to me. But when you lose a guy who shot 39% from deep, was a plus defender, was your number three guy in a Western Conference Finals run, that really hurts. And you brought in no replacements except for Jermichael Green and you lost Torrey Craig, which is not completely insignificant. I obviously have my issues with him as a floor spacer, but defensively is a massive plus. So as the Lakers get better, as the Clippers get better, as the Blazers get better, as the Rockets get better, as the Mavs will get better just because of the nature of their talent, you are falling behind in this conversation. And it doesn't mean I think that they're worse than all of those teams, but they were significantly better than a couple of those teams last year, which I don't think will be the case anymore. And they are now completely out of reach to me of a team like the Lakers and the Clippers. They do obviously have Will Barton for a full season on the horizon. Maybe Gary Harris remarkably makes a resurgence. Maybe Michael Porter Jr. gets way better. Maybe Bull Bull gets way better because they don't want to limit this team because of the talent they have internally, much of which is still getting better. A full season of superstar Jamal Murray, the level that we saw in the playoffs, makes this team a lot better than what they were when he was an 18-point-per-game guy for last season. So we'll see if that is in the cards. But either way, just letting guys like this slip away it really hurts. So, so the Compazzo signing didn't sway you the other way? I do like Compazzo. He intrigues me. I'm kind of interested in seeing what he is going forward. But to me, it's just, it's not just letting guys walk. It's not filling the void. Because Vladko Kankar is not playing center for you. You know, it's just not in his skill set. He's actually really more of a wing just with the way that he plays basketball. But Bull isn't there. So... They just didn't get better. They probably got worse, and that is not really acceptable considering the state of things out West. All right, who did you see as another big loser of this free agency? So I have my biggest losers saved for last, uh, but the, the next loser on my list is the Utah Jazz. And the Jazz did pretty much the bare minimum of what they needed to do this offseason. They re-signed Donovan Mitchell to a long-term deal, five years, $163 million. And they re-signed Jordan Clarkson, a huge part of their bench offense for four years, $52 million. But uh, my big issue is what they did in the draft and then leading up into free agency. So with the 27th pick, you draft Adoka as a bouquet. And then in free agency, you go out and get Derek Favors. To me, it just doesn't make a lot of sense why you would go out and get two big men that while Favors is significantly smaller and does attribute to defense, they're just they're two defensive big men. And that's those are your two big signings. Your best your second best player is Rudy Gobert. Now, the only reason I can think that the Jazz would go ahead and do this deal is because they want to get back to those days where they were second in defensive rating, where they were first in defensive rating, where they were playing just that hard-nosed defensive Utah Jazz basketball. But three big men? Azubuke's not going to get minutes, and again, I get it. Favors was tremendous in lineups for the Pelicans last season. It's a good pickup back for Utah, but with that 27th pick, you could have gotten Malachi Flynn. You could have gotten Desmond Bain, who shot 44% from deep. You could have gotten Tyrell Terry. When I think what Donovan Mitchell, what this Utah Jazz team needs, you need another scorer. You need another shooter, and I get Jordan Clarkson is there, but you just need more. I understand that they got Elijah Hughes in the second round as well, but Hughes to me is just a 
Right now, I think out of the gates, he's going to be a high-energy guy who can hit a mid-range jump shot, who can handle and play a little defense, but he's just not as far along from from the perimeter as I'd like him to be. The Jazz should have invested more in perimeter shooting and off-the-dribble shooting, just scoring the basketball. That's been your problem. So when your two biggest moves are, yes, Mitchell and Clarkson help, but they don't make you better. Getting favors and Azubuke help you defensively. They help you zero on offense. So... For me, they just needed to go out and get more offense in this free agency. I understand the cap didn't allow that, but they could have done better in the draft to prepare for this offseason. So, to me, the Jazz did not, similar to the Nuggets, the Jazz just didn't get significantly better out West when everybody else is. I don't think the Jazz are going to miss the playoffs, but I think they are going to be a significantly lower seed than they were last year. This is something that I think I continue to touch on with the Jazz. Where are they headed as a franchise? Because after this year... Conley's contract is up, Gobert's contract is up, and now it's decision time. Do we want to unlock a championship ceiling? Do we think we can do that with this core? Because I don't think that they can. And maybe it's not fair to tear a team apart for that because they have composed a really good roster, but they had some glaring needs that they didn't address. Now, they did get better as far as they upgraded Tony Bradley minutes to Derek Favors minutes. That's significant. I don't like that as a bookie pickup at all. And although it's not a free agency move, it is part of this offseason, so I do think that it's important in this conversation. And when it comes to wing depth, I like Elijah Hughes a lot. He is 22, so maybe he will be more ready to contribute immediately. And I think that he brings a lot of the two-way ability and secondary playmaking and shot creation and actually floor spacing that you want to see in a guy who's coming off the bench for you. But if he's not ready to contribute immediately, then we're just seeing more Georges and Yang minutes. And I like the top eight for this team. I don't love them. We'll see if someone goes down with an injury like what happened to Bogdanovich last season. Are they going to be killed by their bench again just because they don't have competent options there? Maybe they got a little bit better, but you're not playing Favors, Gobert, and Azabuki. If you are, then you're playing in the mid-1980s, and I'm interested in how they make that work. So I think this is a fair choice. It's not like I hate what they did, but they didn't get significantly better, and that's important in the West. All right, so my second loser of free agency is the New Orleans Pelicans, who really just did a bunch of confusing stuff, in my opinion. Now, I do really like the value that they got as far as future picks for Drew Holiday, but their acquisitions for the guys who will be playing significant minutes on their roster right now, I could not think of a worse basketball fit to play alongside Zion Williamson in their current core than a guy like Eric Bledsoe or a, or a guy like Steven Adams. And you lose George Hill, who we initially thought they were going to have, but was diverted elsewhere in just the mayhem of all of you know, the massive trades that happened this offseason. So now he will not be part of your team. That's a guy who I actually really liked as a pickup. And so now, if you look at their starting lineup, it could very reasonably be Bledsoe, Lonzo, because Lonzo started over Redick for most of last season, Brandon Ingram, Zion, and Steven Adams. That's only 6.23 pointers made per game from your starters, which is a very small number. And you are arguably playing three and a half non-shooters at all times because Bledsoe is a non-shooter. Zion is a non-shooter. Adams is a non-shooter. And Lonzo, when he's off, which happens more than it should, obviously he shot 37% from deep this past season and was very much improved there, but there were ugly stretches. He can fade into spots where he's a non-shooter. So this was actually a really good shooting team last year, and now they lose that completely. And defensively, they will be good because Zion, I think, will take strides there. I think it'll be a high level four. Obviously, Bledsoe and Lonzo, one of the best defensive backcourts in basketball. And Steven Adams, is still an incredibly high-level force around the rim, one of the best rebounders in basketball, impossible to move out of the post. And as far as straight-up post defense, one of the best guys in basketball. But 
Adams is effectively a minus on offense for this team because I don't know when the Pelicans are going to figure out that Zion's best fit long-term is obviously alongside a floor spacing five unless he consistently adds that outside shot to his game, then that's just going to be the way it is. He loves to attack from within 16 feet off the dribble and just punish guys there with his physicality. That's fine. You know what makes that a lot harder? Another guy in the paint four feet away from you. And Jackson Hayes is going to be that long-term for this team. So I don't think that he solves that issue for them either. But Adams is a more glaring example of that. And it just concerns me. When you have a guy like Zion, who is such a dynamic force getting downhill and can you know suck in so much of the attention's defense to the paint. You want guys who can knock down shots around him. I don't think that they improve there this year. I am not particularly frightened of the Bledsoe-Zion pick and roll. It's two guys who I know are coming downhill every time. Bledsoe is not that threat as a perimeter shot maker off the dribble, so that limits what they can do there. I just don't like this offense. And this is a team that, to me, even though maybe they added more guys who individually are good players, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they take a step back this year because their offense is just not going to flow. It's not going to be natural. We saw them play some really high-level transition offense this past season. Maybe that'll still happen because they still have Zion Williamson and they have a guy like Lonzo who is great in those situations and Bledsoe who can push. But in the half court, I have a lot of concerns. And B.I. is special. Zion is special. These other guys, though, I don't feel great about the fit there. So I just didn't like what they did. And I... I don't see them as a playoff team this year, which I think is something you would have been hopeful for considering the progression of Zion and B.I. With the current makeup of the roster, then what do you think an ideal starting five is? Do you go Bledsoe Redick? Do you start Adams at all? Listen, I think that this is their best starting five. I just think it's not a good starting five as far as cohesion because they don't have other pieces. You're not starting Nikhil Alexander-Walker. You're not starting Jackson Hayes. I like Reddick coming off the bench. And Lonzo isn't the problem with this team shooting-wise. It's the three other guys. So I just don't feel great about that at all. It's a little bit archaic, and I don't think it's going to help Zion's development offensively unless, again, he has just had some marvelous revolution. Now he's a 40% shooter from three on volume, which I do not expect to happen. So you said you're saving your biggest loser for last. Who has the honor? Cue the clown music, everybody. Another one. Another year of pain. Logan just held up a Sacramento Kings jersey for those of you who can't see because this video will not be available anywhere. <laughs> yeah, good point. Man, I, I'm i just hurt, Carson. I'm just disappointed, man. We we did the thing that we needed to do. We got De'Aaron Fox back five years, $163 million. But we lose Harry Giles. We lose Kent Bazemore. We lose Bogdan Bogdanovich. We lose Alex Lynn. I, could, I really couldn't care about, but... When you have the money, when you have the ability to re-sign Bogdanovich, why not just do it and just sign and trade him, guys? What are you doing? You're just giving away assets at this point. I thought the Kings, for out of a lot of teams, I thought the Kings did a very good job on draft night. Halliburton, Woodard, Ramsey, Kenyon Martin Jr., all good pickups. And then your biggest free agency signing out of bringing back Fox is bringing in Hassan Whiteside. I got a text on my phone the second he's, yo, do you see who the Kings just picked up? I wanted to throw my phone at the wall. Out of all 30 teams in the NBA, my Kings bring back Hassan Whiteside. The one, nobody wants Whiteside. It's very well known in basketball circles. He is a negative. He does nothing for you offensively. He's lazy. He may give you some rebounds and some block shots. Hooray. That's when he's actually trying. The Kings have gotten 
<laughs> they've gotten better at all outs. They didn't do anything in free agency. We brought in Frank Kaminsky. Stop signing big men, Sacramento. Why don't you go get a three-point shooter for when Buddy Heald leaves? Why don't you re-sign Bogdanovich? This was an elephant offseason for the Kings. My only hope is that they suck enough next season that Luke Walton gets canned and that we get a high draft pick to where we can go out and get... I don't know, Cade Cunningham, another guard or something. I am so disappointed that the Kings, from two years ago, looked to be a competitive team, a playoff roster. They were just on the cusp, and we are back in the hole. We're not making the playoffs again. The streak will continue again next year of missing the playoffs. I'm just disappointed, Sacramento. It hurts. It was not a good free agency. I cannot explain why you let a guy like Harry Giles walk when all you have to do is pick up his rookie team option. and. They did absolutely nothing to get better. So although I like this Kings roster and I think there are talented guys, losing Bogdanovich obviously does hurt you a little bit in the win column. And long term, we'll see where they're headed because I don't know if Buddy Heald is part of the vision. And I don't think that Fox is ever going to be the best guy on a championship winning team, although I do really like him. Uh, He didn't quite take the steps that we wanted to see from him in year three this past season. So there's not much reason to be optimistic right now if you're a Kings fan. It's such a hard pivot from where they were a year ago when there was nothing but hope and sunshine in the air. It just doesn't feel that way for them right now. And I feel for you very much because, you know, it's painful. It's definitely painful, I can imagine, as a supporter of the Kings because they're just not headed in the right directions despite the fact that they have a pretty young roster and some talented guys. All right. My last loser, the Orlando Magic. The reason for this does not have much to do with what they did because they really didn't do that much at all. The reason is the weak spot in the East that has been the seventh and eighth seed that they've been clinging to for these past couple years got a lot better, primarily because of the Atlanta Hawks. But I think we saw a few teams push to insert themselves into that conversation, the Wizards, the Hornets, and they went and lost DJ Augustine, who was one of the better sixth men in basketball this past season. Their only pickup is Dwayne Bacon. So... I don't have a magic tirade in the cards. Maybe this is just a little bit of vindictiveness because they have been putting hideous basketball out on the floor in the playoffs the past couple years that I have not enjoyed watching for a second. But as good as we probably expect them to still be defensively, they won't have Jonathan Isaac for this season. They didn't have him for much of last season anyways, but that hurts. And they're not getting better at all. So... Tough luck, Orlando. You're not headed in the right direction. And I think that there are other teams that are more exciting and that are likely to be better that are going to knock them out of the playoffs so we don't have to watch hideous magic basketball anymore. And we are all the winners for that. As a nerd, the phrase, their biggest signing was Dwayne Bacon, is the funniest thing I've heard today. Yeah. Dwayne Bacon, who, of course, for much of the Charlotte Hornets season was taking minutes from Malik Monk for reasons undisclosed to me. I have sent various emails to head coach James Morego saying, why doesn't Malik play more? Why isn't Malik running the offense? Who's this Devontae Graham guy? He's just taking advantage of the volume of opportunities that were supposed to go to Malik, the clear choice for most improved player this year. Have you seen Malik play? He's incredibly athletic. He's a dynamic creator off the dribble. Wow, those are some pretty impressive passes he made in preseason, huh? Maybe he can facilitate a little bit more this year. Defensively, he has the tools. It's just about being engaged and giving effort. Okay, so what? He had a drug incident. Just give him another chance. These are all the things that I say to James Borrego on a pretty regular basis. Shout out to Malik, man. I just hope he's doing okay, and I hope that he's doing well. On that note, anyone else that you want to shout out as a loser in this conversation, Logan? I did write down the New York Knicks just because it it sucks to me that they brought back Alfred Payton. I don't know why you are trotting out a non-shooting point guard alongside R.J. Barrett again. That 
it's just so stupid. How is he supposed to develop if he doesn't have space to operate with? Because he is going to be a primary ball handler probably in this league. He needs to be comfortable and they have not improved upon that situation whatsoever. But anyone else who you just looked at their offseason and you said, yuck. Uh, probably the Cleveland Cavaliers, just because their uh, big move was getting JaVale McGee and drafting Isaac Okoro, who I don't have a lot of faith in. I do want to give a shout-out to the Sixers, because I thought uh, their free agency period, I-, I thought they killed the draft, and I think the Sixers are going to be tremendous next season. But I think losing Roll Neto and losing Alec Burks are two pretty big losses. Uh, Burks last season, 41% from deep. Uh, 46% from the field. He's gonna be a <laughs> he's gonna be a valuable asset on the Knicks because he's probably gonna take a lot of shots. <laughs> <laughs> and then Neto's just a, he's gonna be a great weapon for uh, Washington as a secondary ball handler on that back unit. So I don't like those losses for Philadelphia, but what they did in the draft definitely makes up for it. Um, I need more Malik Monk monologues, Carson. <laughs> yeah, hopefully he just sticks around in the league, man. Because if he does, they're coming for the next decade. But I worry about where. He's headed. Yeah, the Sixers are an interesting situation because, as you mentioned, I love so much what they did in the draft. And I thought, obviously, the Danny Green pickup was significant for them. And they added shooting, which was their most glaring hole. And they picked up Dwight Howard, which I do like for them as a rotational big man. I think they're going to be a lot better this season, as you've said before. And I am excited to see that because the basketball fit was so disastrous this past year. So that's going to do it for us here today. We will be back with our regularly scheduled programming soon enough, but we did want to take this as a bit of a light week because you know what? We deserve it. And there's been so much going on lately that we just had to take a breather for a quick second, but we will be starting our NBA previews very soon because the season is sneaking up on us, but we are excited. Can't wait to get into that a little bit more. So with that said, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sash. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.